Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on corporate governance and financial regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, the General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly podcast episodes is to update CII members and the general public on developments in corporate governance and related CII advocacy activities in connection with the administration's initiative to reform the U.S. financial regulatory system. This update covers the period of February 27th to March 26th. So, let's get started. On February 28th, the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs, chaired by Michael Crapo of Idaho, held a hearing entitled Legislative Proposals on Capital Formation and Corporate Governance. Chairman Crapo noted that it was his intent to collaborate with Ranking Member Sherrod Brown of Ohio and other senators on the committee to identify and advance legislative proposals that relate to capital formation, corporate governance, and the proxy process. Noting that last November, the Securities and Exchange Commission conducted a staff roundtable on the proxy process and rules, Chairman Crapo encouraged the commission to take action with the information it gathered, stressing that it is time to re-examine the standards of inclusion of proposals pursuing environmental, social, or political agendas and ensure the fiduciary focus throughout the proxy process reflects the economic interest of the retail investors. CII submitted a letter to the Banking Committee that was included as part of the hearing record. The letter included our views on the SEC's proxy process project and on several bills that were discussed in the committee staff memorandum prepared for the hearing. Those bills included H.R. 624, the Promoting Transparent Standards for Corporate Insiders Act. The bill would require the Securities and Exchange Commission to carry out a study of Rule 10b-5-1 trading plans. Section 2 of the bill sets forth a number of potential amendments to Rule 10b-5-1 that were derived from a 2012 CII rulemaking petition to the SEC and CII's membership-approved policies on stock sales that supports disclosure and board oversight of Rule 10b-5-1 plans. On January 28th of this year, the bill passed the House of Representatives by a vote of 413-3. to On February 27th, the chairman of the Securities, Insurance, and Investments Subcommittee of the Senate Banking Committee, Senator Chris Van Hollen of Maryland, introduced S-573, a companion bill to H.R. 624. The bill is co-sponsored by Senator Deb Fisher of Nebraska. A second bill referenced in our letter to the committee that we've supported in the past is S-536, the Cybersecurity Act of 2017. That bill directs the SEC to issue final rules that require issuers to disclose whether any member of its board has expertise or experience in cybersecurity. We publicly supported the stated goal of the bill to promote transparency in the oversight of cybersecurity risks at public companies. The bill was reintroduced with some minor revisions by Senator Reid on the day of the Banking Committee hearing as S-592, the Cybersecurity Disclosure Act of 2019. The bill has six co-sponsors three Republicans and three Democrats. Five of the co-sponsors are members of the Senate Banking Committee. Moving now to the House of Representatives. On March 5th, the House Committee on Financial Services, chaired by Maxine Waters of California, approved by a vote of 33 to 24 its views and estimates for the fiscal year 2020 budget. The views and estimates document notes that with respect to the SEC, independence from the annual congressional appropriations process may provide the commission with advantages in better managing its staffing needs. The document also urges the SEC to prioritize its enforcement and examination activities and to complete the remaining Dodd-Frank Act rulemakings. Specifically, it urges the commission to finalize long overdue rules, including those that establish a comprehensive regulatory regime for security-based swaps, 
enhanced investor disclosures, and executive compensation rules for public companies and SEC-regulated entities. The committee views and estimates will be relayed to the House Budget Committee for its consideration in creating the budget resolution for fiscal year 2020. In other news in the House of Representatives, the Investor Protection, Entrepreneurship, and Capital Markets Subcommittee of the Committee on Financial Services, chaired by Carolyn Maloney of New York, has postponed its planned March 26th legislative hearing on ESG disclosure issues. However, the subcommittee has scheduled a hearing for April 3rd, titled Putting Investors First, Reviewing Proposals to Hold Executives Accountable. That hearing is expected to include proposals on several areas in which CII has membership policies or prior public positions, including legislative proposals related to clawbacks and mandatory arbitration provisions in public company governing documents. Turning now to the Securities and Exchange Commission, speaking at CII's spring conference on March 5th, SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce discussed, among other topics, stock buybacks, mandatory arbitration provisions in public company governing documents, and the SEC's proxy process project. Commissioner Peirce's written speech included over a dozen references to CII's comment letters and other materials. With respect to buybacks, Commissioner Peirce indicated that she agreed with CII's public comments that tying companies' hands on capital allocation could lead executives to pour money into wasteful businesses that falter or fail to create additional jobs. She also observed that the money spent on buybacks does not evaporate and is often invested by shareholders and other companies that need capital more than the company executing the buyback, which in turn creates a benefit that nerves to investors and to society more broadly. Addressing concerns that mandatory arbitration provisions in public company governing documents can deprive shareholders' ability to join together in a class action, Commissioner Peirce alleged that class action suits are rarely decided on the merits and that the cost of litigating is so great that companies often settle to be free from the cost and hassle of the lawsuit. She stressed, moreover, that class action settlements are rarely public and certainly involve no publication of broadly applicable legal findings and can depress shareholder value since they often result in costly payouts to make the suit go away that do not nerd to the benefit of shareholders. She clarified, however, that she would not insist on mandatory arbitration provisions for all companies as such action would not be an appropriate exercise of the SEC's investor protection mandate. Instead, she suggested that if shareholders value the ability to bring class actions, they can divert their investments to companies that offer such options. With respect to the Commission's project on the proxy process, Commissioner Peirce expressed appreciation for CII's suggestions regarding the use of blockchain technology to track proxy voting and address other broader concerns in the proxy process. She also commented that she sees a clear need for reform with respect to the SEC's Rule 14A8, arguing that the rule's current thresholds permit, indeed encourage, a handful of shareholders to put forward proposals that incur considerable costs borne by all shareholders. She argued that the opportunity cost of the SEC staff in having to deal with shareholder proposals is enormous and that the SEC staff must review and respond to company requests to reject numerous proposals that have no chance of succeeding were they put to a vote. Finally, she went on to say that the time SEC staff spends on shareholder proposals must necessarily detract from time they could otherwise spend on more useful endeavors such as rulemaking and reviewing disclosures, both of which, in her view, provide more benefit to a number of investors. On March 18th, in addressing the Investment Company Institute Mutual Funds and Investment Management Conference, SEC Commissioner Elad Roseman discussed potential reforms for the proxy process. As you might recall, SEC Chairman Jay Clayton has tasked Commissioner Roseman with leading the SEC's efforts on the proxy process project. 
Commissioner Rosman indicated that in connection with his review of the transcript and comment letters submitted in connection with the SEC's November 2018 roundtable, he has noticed certain asset management practices with respect to proxy voting that have raised questions, including why some advisors aim to vote every proxy for every company in every fund's portfolio, and why some advisors centralize proxy voting functions within a complex and vote uniformly across funds in the complex, and why some advisors rely on third-party proxy advisory firms to assist with devising and implementing voting policies. Acknowledging that these are not necessarily inherently problematic practices, he said without further insight into the thinking behind them, he can see ways in which they might not align with the best interests of individual funds. Noting that proxy advisory firms provide services that their clients greatly value, he argued that the SEC should not impose additional regulations upon them without thorough consideration, but stressed it is incumbent upon asset managers to use the services of proxy advisory firms responsibly. He commented, moreover, that he remains cognizant of recurring concerns with aspects of how proxy advisory firms operate, as many have criticized their processes for developing recommendations as being prone to errors and suppressing viewpoints from the companies that they research. He added that he's primarily concerned about factual errors rather than disagreements about the interpretation of those facts or unpopular recommendations resulting from accurate factual inputs, as it is commonly known that proxy advisory firms do not allow most issuers an opportunity to review or correct errors in the reports in advance of sending the reports to clients, something that companies understandably find frustrating. He also noted that the SEC undeniably played a role in the evolution of proxy voting today, including the growth of proxy advisory firms, when the SEC staff issued certain advisory letters, which he asserted gave investment advisors a green light to rely almost wholly on proxy advisory firms and blessed a key conflict of interest endemic to many proxy advisory firms' business models. He commended the vision of investment managers director Dahlia Blass for withdrawing these staff letters and said he does not believe that the SEC staff should universally alter the intent of commission rules by approving across the board practices that could be construed as outsourcing fiduciary duty or ignoring major conflicts of interest. Accordingly, he noted that in light of this history, it is a good time for the commission to consider whether guidance would be helpful to asset managers as they consider how to utilize the services of proxy advisory firms, and that since proxy advisory firms rely on the proxy solicitation exemptions available under certain Exchange Act rules, it may be appropriate for the commission to reassess whether their current practices fit within the intended scope and purpose of these exemptions. Commissioner Rosman also discussed SEC Rule 14A8, Specifically, he said he's interested in the thresholds for submission and resubmission of shareholder proposals, noting that it's important to achieve a balance here so that the SEC allows for robust shareholder engagement without providing a mechanism for certain shareholders with idiosyncratic views that use the shareholder proposal system in a way that does not benefit the interests of the majority of long-term shareholders. Finally, Commissioner Roseman said he has been focusing extensively on what the Commission can do to improve the plumbing that underlies our proxy voting system, stressing that he believes the Commission needs to consider not only quick fixes that could marginally improve some aspects of how the system works, but also comprehensive solutions based on modern technology. Another SEC-related news, on March 26th, CII issued a comment letter in response to the SEC's December request for comment on earnings releases and quarterly reports. With respect to quarterly reports, our letter expresses the view that investors, companies, and other market participants benefit from the current reporting frequency model, which requires domestic issuers to file quarterly reports on Form 10-Q. 
Our letter also indicates that we do not believe that requiring the filing of a Form 10-Q leads public company managers to focus on short-term results to the detriment of long-term performance, and that if the Commission wants to encourage long-term decision-making by public companies, the focus should be on discouraging quarterly forecasted earnings guidance rather than quarterly financial reporting. With respect to earnings releases, our letter expresses general support for commission action to address time lapses between the issuance of public companies' earnings releases and the Form 10-Q. We believe investors and market participants would benefit from having a more complete and timely package of a company's performance and financial condition. Finally, turning to the stock exchanges, on March 2nd, we issued a press release expressing deep concern about LiftInc's IPO filing because of its dual-class share structure and the lack of sunset provisions to unwind the dual-class structure within a reasonable time period. We also reiterated our call for the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ to act on our October petitions to amend their listing standards to require, going forward, companies seeking to list that have multiple share classes with differential voting rights to include in their governing documents provisions that convert the share structure within seven years of IPO to a single class of common shares with equal voting rights, subject to extension of additional terms of no more than seven years each by vote of majority of the outstanding shares of each share class, voting separately on a one-share, one-vote basis. We encourage all interested parties to review our October petitions to the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ and consider sending your own letters to the exchanges expressing your views on our petitions. Finally, on March 13th, we wrote to the SEC in response to their solicitation of comments on a NASDAQ-proposed rule change to adopt listing standards to facilitate direct listings. Our letter generally supports the proposal because we believe direct listings have the potential to be more cost-effective for certain companies than a traditional IPO. And importantly, uh, we believe the NASDAQ proposal includes a number of provisions that provide important and necessary investor protections in connection with a direct listing. That completes my corporate governance and financial regulation update. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.